Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I want to start today a three-part podcast on the issue of volunteers in ministry. Now, I'm doing three, three podcasts because I really want to address some aspects of this issue in uh, more detail than I could normally accomplish in one 30-minute uh, podcast. Uh, I also want to talk in more detail about this because, quite frankly, this is one of the areas of ministry that I've watched change over my lifetime in ministry leadership, and not for the positive. So I want to spend a few moments here at the beginning just giving a little historical overview of how I've seen it develop, and then I want to move into this podcast on foundations for volunteer ministry in churches and ministry organization. Uh, I wanted to, as part of that foundation today, I want to talk about some reasons why uh, volunteers are difficult to, to uh, use for leaders. And then I want to talk about a biblical and theological foundation for why volunteerism is really foundational to ministry success. So first, a little overview. When I started out in ministry uh, many years ago, one of the common uh, things that churches had was something called a nominating committee. And that committee's responsibility was to uh, survey the church membership on a regular basis, uh, do appropriate uh, investigation and gathering of information about the members of the church, uh, coordinate how the volunteer needs of the church uh, needed to be staffed, and then to uh, go out and recruit people, place people, and help people get the training they need to perform the volunteer ministries that were being assigned. Now, this was a very significant responsibility, and churches uh, that were serious about involving large numbers of people in ministry and also serious about expanding the footprint of their ministry took this process very seriously. And one of the things it did was created a, a, uh, a, a hub, if you will, of planning about this so that you didn't have the same volunteer person being recruited to be a youth Sunday school teacher that was being recruited to be a, an usher or that was recruited to be on the parking lot team. Uh, you, you had a sense that uh, everyone in the church uh, needs to find a, a place of service uh, the nominating committee needs to coordinate how that all takes place, and they worked it every year. Now, I have seen that uh, process completely lost in most churches these days. Now, large churches have replaced the process with someone on staff, actually, who's usually not a volunteer, uh, to help them um, do this kind of placement work throughout their church. But in most mid-sized to small churches, uh, this kind of coordinated effort of uh, surveying the entire membership, uh, developing a, a schematic of all the volunteer needs in a church, and spending time working hard at matching up gifts of people to available opportunities has simply been lost. Now, uh, in contrast to that, uh, my wife and I have both worked very uh, intensely and, and intentionally over the years to develop volunteer leaders. For example, my wife uh, was the volunteer coordinator for uh, the grade school that my children attended, 
and built a significant ministry of recruiting uh, volunteers, men and women, almost all parents, some grandparents, to come into the school on a consistent basis and work in classrooms and administrative settings and playgrounds and other places to facilitate a healthier school environment. When our children moved to middle school, uh, my wife moved up with them and replicated the same kind of project for the middle school, and my wife became the best friend of both of those two principals, so much so that on two occasions the uh, district superintendent contacted my wife and offered her a paid position to come on the district staff to create uh, and train a network of volunteer coordinators to work in the schools and to uh, facilitate the expansion of this program across the district. Now my wife did not want a full-time job. Uh, if she did, she would have been able to have one. She wanted to be a significant volunteer, so she turned down those opportunities. But that just gives you a flavor for how much she's been invested in this volunteer process over the years. Now one good example from my past of ministry was when I was at the Northwest Baptist Convention. When I arrived at the convention, I realized that there were a significant number of needs that were being unmet and that in order for us to meet those needs, we were going to have to find a, a different model than hiring more staff because the, the financial resources just weren't going to grow rapidly enough to make that happen. So uh, we developed a very significant volunteers ministry there, which involved bringing on a volunteer coordinator who was himself a volunteer, and it was always staffed by a married couple. So when I say him, he, he was the lead person, but they always worked it as a team. Uh, we brought these volunteer coordinators on, and then they were responsible for recruiting and placing volunteers in our convention staff, and then also helping train churches and help churches to learn how to uh, play, recruit, and train more volunteers in their settings. At one time when I was at the Northwest Baptist Convention, we had about 12 volunteers uh, working there uh, at the campus. Now, we haven't replicated that, or excuse me, working for the convention. We haven't replicated that as entirely at Gateway Seminary as I thought we might, but we have always had volunteers here working at the seminary as well. And uh, just recently, we had a volunteer that came and gave us several weeks working as a volunteer electrician. This was a uh, a retired electrician who uh, has all the proper certifications who came and gave us uh, some weeks of time uh, doing repair projects, uh, updating things, fixing things that, that uh, really saved us a significant amount of money and also enable us to get some projects done that probably would have just languished you know, as time goes by. So uh, that's a little bit of my background on this issue of volunteers in ministry. I've watched it change significantly in terms of how churches approach this issue. I've been personally invested in it, and my wife has been invested in it, because we really believe in recruiting, training, placing, supervising, and rewarding volunteers who can do the ministry that God has given us. Now, having given that background, let me talk just for a few minutes now about uh, some reasons why leaders, particularly paid leaders, struggle with the issue of using more volunteers. And then I want to talk about a biblical and theological foundation uh, for making sure that we're committed in this area. Now, the first reason that people often give me that for not using more volunteers is that people don't want to volunteer. And as I'm going to show you in just a few minutes from both biblical and theological resources, that is simply not true. Now, people may be reluctant, people may need uh, help, they may need training, they may need, uh, they may need coaching. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, that, a lot of things people need to be effective volunteers, but the idea that people just don't want to serve or just don't want to be involved uh, is simply not the primary reason that volunteers are not being used. I think the primary reason that uh, volunteers are not being used more 
is actually something that's going on within the ministry leaders in our, in our uh, context. And that is that many ministry leaders uh, struggle with personal insecurity. And that personal insecurity shows up in some significant ways that limit the expansion of our ministries and including the expansion of our ministries through volunteers. So let me talk about what that looks like. When you are personally insecure as a leader, you will think that the more you do, the better you are. And the more you can uh, do your work and take credit for it, the more valuable you'll prove yourself to be to the organization. That's an expression of personal insecurity which undermines the use of volunteers. Uh, another expression of this insecurity is fear of being criticized when things you've recruited others to do don't turn out as well as you had hoped. In other words, you recruit someone to work in youth ministry and they don't work out just as well as you had hoped, or maybe they do something that they make a serious mistake, or maybe they just let's let the let down in their ministry and don't fulfill what they were asked to do. And the criticism comes not back to them, but back to you for putting them in place. And so because you don't really want to deal with that kind of criticism, you're reluctant to put more volunteers into action. A third expression of personal insecurity is the tendency to not ask people to do things because of the fear of being turned down. Rejection is painful. There is no question about that. No one likes to be told no. Uh, no one likes to face the big turn down. But if you're going to really work well with volunteers and use a lot of them, you have to accept the reality that sometimes people are going to tell you no. And they're not going to want to be involved in the particular thing you've asked them to do. And that's no personal reflection on you. It's just part of the process of using volunteers. Another reason that comes out of personal insecurity, another reason that we're reluctant to use volunteers is because when you uh, expand your volunteer base, you lessen the control you have over your organization. Now, <laughs> I know this is hard to hear, but the more people that you have working with you, either in paid or volunteer capacity, the less control you have over your organization. Uh, the most tightly controlled organization is one in which you do everything yourself. If you preach all the sermons and visit, make all the evangelistic visits and uh, teach all the Bible studies and decide all things in the meetings, then uh, you don't really have to worry about uh, anybody else controlling anything because you've got it all under control. The problem is you have a one-dimensional viewpoint of every aspect of ministry and life, and when you do that, you lose the input and the contribution that volunteers can make and can contribute to the success of your organization. So I think that one of the things that's driving us away from using more volunteers is not the fact that people don't want to volunteer as much as it is that we struggle with personal insecurity, which makes us uh, want to have uh, control of the situation where we receive the credit, where we avoid the risk, of what others might do to disappoint or to not follow through, and that we avoid the rejection of people telling us no when we try to get them involved in ministry. Now, a second uh, reason that grows out of the first is simply pride. Uh, we want to do things that reflect well on us. Uh, we want people to notice us. We want people to give us a praise. We want people to pat us on the back and tell us job well done. We want the credit. When you use a lot of volunteers, you spread the credit. You, you push it out away from you. you. You magnify the work that others do, and by doing that, you lift them up and give them uh, the, uh, the, the accolades in your place. And frankly, some leaders just don't want to do that. But another reason uh, that we are reluctant to use volunteers is what I call the nearsightedness of Christian leadership. This means... Uh, working day to day, but with no real vision 
for the long-term impact that your ministry could make and no real understanding of the importance of building a ministry organization that is, that is really focused on future success, not just what gets done in the here and now. Uh, quite frankly, if you want something done quickly and well, just do it yourself. But if you want a lot more done over a long period of time, you've got to place a lot of volunteers around you who can get that job done. So personal insecurity, pride, nearsightedness of ministry, and then another uh, reason, which I've already kind of alluded to, is that we really think that people just aren't interested in the task of ministry or in volunteering to do ministry. Now, I, now I recognize that people today have many demands on their time and many uh, many uh, distractions, and and they have a lot of reluctance to take on responsibility for a lot of different reasons. But the basic assumption that people don't want to serve is what I'm addressing right now, and that has to be changed. Uh, if a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is something that happens inside of them that's transformational, and they have both a motivation and, as we're going to see in just a few moments from some biblical and theological resources, an obligation to engage in serving others. And so get past the idea, this assumption or this conviction that people don't want to serve. They do, but there may be some things that have to be removed or challenged or uh, changed in their lives before they follow through on that. And then a final reason that... Uh, or excuse me, a fifth reason why volunteers are not used is what I call the inertia of tradition. In other words, this is the way we've always done things, and we're not going to change them. Uh, and so when you have that kind of commitment to maintaining what you have, you're just never going to have a vision for recruiting more people and expanding the work and involving them in new ways, because that means, of course, change. And then finally, and this will lead me into the next session, uh, section. The, uh, the final reason that we fail to use volunteers is we just really don't have a very good theology or biblical understanding of the importance of volunteers. And so I want to talk about that now and see if I can't lay out a, a foundation to help us understand why this is such a significant approach uh, to getting ministry done. First of all, let's talk about some biblical examples. There are both Old Testament and New Testament examples of large numbers of volunteers being used in very significant ways to accomplish very significant ministry. One of the first of these is in Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 to 27. Now, the situation was this. Moses was acting as judge over uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, that made up the Jewish community at that time. His father-in-law, Jethro, showed up, observed the situation, and saw how inadequately it was being managed, and made this recommendation. He said, you need to divide the people into groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and you need to appoint some other people to be the leaders uh, in these categories. In other words, someone to lead at the thousand level, at the hundred level, at the fifty level at the 10 level so that these other men can handle disputes, especially lesser disputes, so that only the difficult issues, he said, would arise to Moses' responsibility. Now, this is one of the earliest examples in the Bible of creating an organizational chart, of dividing up an organization into bite-sized manageable units of, of, uh, of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and of appointing someone at every level of the organization and giving them the authority and the responsibility of serving the people in that uh, group and then making the decisions that need to be made uh, related to that group. And of course, uh, Jethro also advised that the difficult issues would come back to Moses, meaning that he might deal with a few, but he wouldn't deal with the many. 
Now, every good organization functions this way. Uh, you have some layers of both authority and responsibility so that people throughout the organization are empowered to do and to decide what needs to be done to advance the mission of the organization. And so the, the leader's responsibility is not so much doing everything for the people or even doing everything uh, with the people. The leader's responsibility is to keep everyone focused on the overall mission and to handle difficult issues that percolate up through the, pro the process that need his or her direct attention. So here's an example in the book of Exodus, chapter 18, verses 13 to 27, about the extensive use of volunteers to lead the people of Israel. Another example in the Old Testament is in Nehemiah 2 through 6. And in those chapters, we see that Nehemiah is leading the people of Jerusalem to, be, to rebuild a wall around their city. Now, in, this cha in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, there's a listing of workers and their responsibilities, and this listing reveals it was an all-volunteer force. In fact, it's interesting that in that passage, there's careful mention made of the occupations of several people involved in building the wall. Uh, there are people like goldsmiths and perfumers, and goldsmiths and perfumers would not have been, would not have been using their, uh, their professional or their vocational skills for which they might be paid to build a wall. No, they were building that wall as volunteer laborers trying to help get the job done. So this is another Old Testament example of large numbers of volunteers being marshaled, organized, and put into, uh, put into action to accomplish a significant project. Now there's also, uh, in the New Testament, examples of volunteers in ministry. The, one of these is in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out 72 disciples to preach and minister. Now I find it fascinating that Jesus named the 12 who worked most closely with him, but when he called out these 72, uh, they're not really named or identities shown. They're just called together as a group and sent out two by two to accomplish ministry. Uh, they were told to carry no purse, no bag, no shoes. Uh, this operation was operated by limited resources and was certainly manned by volunteers who were going uh, at their own expense or really depending on the care of others to get their work done. Uh, they had significant results. In fact, they came back and told Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. What a statement that must have been for them. But it's a good example of Jesus sending out uh, 72 volunteers to get his work done and them being used by God in significant ways so that even demons were sub subject to them. Another New Testament example of the use of volunteers is in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, some people say this passage is the selection of the first deacons. The Bible doesn't exactly say that, but it could be that this is an example of early deacon selection. If not, it's certainly a precursor to that process. In Acts chapter 6, there was a problem. Some of the widows were not being cared for appropriately. And the apostles were uh, running around trying to take care of everything, and they were neglecting their primary tasks of preaching and praying. And so uh, they, uh, they said, we've got to fix this. And so they appointed these seven workers to organize the care for these widows. And there's every indication that these people came out of the congregation, assumed responsibility for the congregation, and expanded the impact of the apostles by what they did. So two good examples in the New Testament, the sending out of the 72 and the selection of these early church workers in Acts chapter 6. Now from these, three biblical, or from these four biblical examples, two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament, there are three things that we can underscore that the Bible illustrates about using volunteers. First, the use of volunteers has always been a part of God's plan for ministry. 
going all the way back to Exodus and all the way up to Acts, throughout biblical history, God has been using volunteers to get his work done. Second, volunteers have been used to accomplish all types of different ministries. Uh, in the first example I gave, they were primarily directed to give judicial instruction and to solve disputes among people. In the second example, uh, they were on a construction project, a volunteer project to get a wall built. In the third example, they were, they were going out representing the gospel in the community and performing acts of spiritual warfare so that even demons were subjected to them. And in the final example, they were giving, um, they were giving uh, service in the church and taking care of and meeting needs as were presented to them. So these are examples of people who were volunteers used in ministry throughout the Old and New Testament to do all different kinds of ministry. And finally, uh, the, these examples show us that volunteers have always been successful in the ministry they've been assigned. Now, that doesn't imply that every single judge that Moses appointed was perfectly uh, wise or did everything right, or that every one of the 72 that came back had an equally glowing report of the ministry they'd accomplished. But overall, uh, there's no other conclusion that can be drawn but that these volunteer efforts of judging, wall building, uh, uh, go going out with the gospel, and uh, establishing a church ministry, uh, there's no question but that all four of these were very successful efforts and are biblical examples of the successful use of volunteers. Well, now let's shift to talk at the end of the podcast here about some theological issues uh, that support the use of volunteers in ministry. The first theological issue is the nature of the church. Uh, the church is a spiritual fellowship. It's a spiritual fellowship of people bound together uh, through life in Jesus Christ. Uh, every one of us who's come to be a part of the church has come uh, by a, a voluntary choice to associate ourselves with the church in general and with the particular church uh, of which we're a member. Uh, we have a freedom to choose the church we attend, a freedom to choose the church where we're, membership, where we're members. And so membership is made up entirely of volunteers. And that includes even the people who are paid to lead these fellowships on mission, these churches. Every single person who's there is a volunteer. They have voluntarily chosen to associate themselves with the people of God, and they have voluntarily chosen to uh, particularly jo to join a particular church. And so the church, by the nature of its constitution or its makeup, is an all-volunteer organization. So that means uh, it ought to be a good example of volunteer service and volunteer ministry. A second reason, theological reason, is the priesthood of the believer. Now, don't get caught up in some of the controversy that goes along with that doctrine. It's a precious doctrine, which basically says that all Christians have equal privilege before God and equal responsibility to serve God. Now, that does not mean that all Christians have an equal role or an equal level of responsibility, but it does mean that we all have equal access to God and equal responsibility to serve him. And so this means that every Christian is to be involved in some kind of meaningful ministry. And as leaders, we're responsible to help people to live out this doctrinal or theological reality. Well, a third issue, theological issue, related to volunteerism is the giftedness of every believer. The New Testament teaches that every believer has one or more spiritual gifts. These are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12. And there may be other passages in the New Testament that allude to these gifts. You could make that debate or make that argument, but at least these three really speak clearly to the issue. 
Uh, now, there's a lot of debate and a lot of confusion about spiritual gifts uh, and about what they mean and how they're used, etc. But when you survey the literature, there are at least two statements that most interpreters generally agree. Number one, every believer has at least one spiritual gift given freely by God's grace and uh, to, to be used in his service. So every believer has at least one gift. Almost everyone believes or agrees with that. The second conclusion is that the spiritual gifts were given for the benefit of others. Now, uh, there are some who advocate that, for example, tongues is a personal gift and it's built for your, uh, it's designed for your uh, uplifting. But really, I don't think that bears up under pretty serious biblical scrutiny. Uh, e- even if you believe in tongue speaking, it's supposed to be something that edifies the body or that's useful in ministry. But setting that aside, uh, these two conclusions about the giftedness of every believer. Uh, God has gifted every believer with at least one spiritual gift, and he's gifted believers to use those gifts in serving others. And then a fourth theological issue is the biblical function of pastors. You know, pastors have a responsibility, and that responsibility is summarized in Ephesians 4, and the responsibility is to be equippers. Now, pastors also do ministry. We do, so, we do ministry so that we can um, model it for other people, but we don't uh, do ministry to exclude other people. We do ministry as a model for other people. And then we have a significant responsibility to equip others for the work of ministry. And so uh, a theological foundation for using volunteers comes out of the theological understanding we have about the nature of the pastoral responsibility. And then the final theological issue is that we must learn to use volunteers in ministry because it helps them fulfill their supreme responsibility. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. And then Jesus said the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Helping people to find their place in ministry, uh, appropriately recruiting them, training them, supervising, rewarding them, guiding them, coaching them, using them, helping them to do that is one means by which you help people to fulfill the first and the second commandment, loving God and loving others. Well, this is the first step in helping us recapture what it means to have a robust commitment to volunteers in ministry. I've started this podcast by laying out some real reasons, some personal reasons, why leaders struggle with really investing themselves in building a volunteer army to work around them. And then we've moved in uh, answering some of those issues to consider the biblical and theological foundations for volunteers in ministry. Look, this is a significant issue for you to address. How do you develop a system, a process that comes out of a conviction that rests on biblical and theological information that you will build a team, an army, a large group of people into a volunteer movement to get your work done. I want you to think about it with me as we go through these next two weeks on the podcast. We'll put this into practice as we lead on.